Anybody else feeling the wrath of allergies? Yeah, I don't know. Thank you very much. I don't know if I have allergies or if I just have the good old-fashioned cold once again. Uh, but I'm prepared this morning. I've got Kleenex and uh, throat lozenges and water, so we'll, I think, make it through it as we go. After 31 years of marriage, I learned from my wife this last week that one of her least favorite sounds in the entire world is somebody blowing their nose, especially at the dinner table. Who knew that that was going to be a problem? So it's been an amazing week in the Clausen household as I've been annoying all week long as we go. So I'm glad to be able to share that with you this morning. You know, lots of things that I, I love about our, our church. And, uh, you know, one is just a, a chance to spend time with our, our leadership teams here, our board of ministries and our board of elders. And a couple times uh, every year, uh, we take the night and just have dinner over at our place and then just spend uh, an evening in, in prayer together. And last week, we had a chance to have our board of elders over and uh, we just got to spend some time in praying. And I was reminded about where it just seemed during that time where the heaviness of our hearts moved towards just concern for the family concern for, for marriages, and to pray for our children and our grandchildren. You know, living up and growing in a post-Christian culture, what, what does that mean? And uh, it was fun just as an evening as men and as husbands and fathers and grandfathers and, and, uh, and elders to just pray this, that God, would you give us wisdom, right, on how we should live in a world that at times seems indifferent and if not antagonistic towards the things of God. God, how do we live and how do we walk in, in, in such a way during these times? And, uh, you know, that prayer, that burden, that, that hurt for the things of this world is nothing new to us. This was the context of the Apostle Paul when he was praying for this new church he had just planted in a town called Ephesus way back in 62 A.D., Apostle Paul's writing a letter that we call the book of Ephesians to the church there in Ephesus. And this young church that was just getting started was, was founded in one of the most, I think, one of the most amazing cities that's ever been in human history. The, the, the city of Ephesus was absolutely incredible. It was this amazing metropolitan city. It was founded just uh, off the Mediterranean Sea. And so it was a port city that was flourishing. It had all kinds of culture and diversity and just was flourishing it was home to one of the largest libraries in the ancient world. In fact, you'll see a picture here. This is ruins that still stand today. If you went to Turkey, you can see some of the remnants of the, uh, the library that was there. But just like most big cities, even today, back then, culturally, most big cities tended to be very liberal, very humanistic in their morality and in their, in their thinking in different ways. And that was certainly the, the case of the city of Ephesus had 50 temples that were built towards different pagan gods. But the hallmark of the city was listed as one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world, and it was the temple built to Artemis. And you'll see a picture of it here. Absolutely stunning. It later became known as the, the Temple of Diana. If you were Greek, you would know it as that way. So an incredible place. So all of these temples, all of this focus had an amazing way of affecting the culture, right? The values of this community that were there. In fact, to the point that they found themselves many times, the, the culture, being hostile to the teachings of Jesus and the teaching of God's word. So the question that Paul dealt with was this, how do we survive, how do we have impact in a world that seems to be godless? Don't you wish we could find a book in the Bible that was relevant for 2021 as we go, right? That's where we're going to go this summer, the book of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles... The book, uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. If you've got your phones, go to lexcity.info, and you've got all the service notes there. 
Sorry about that. Made it through first hour. <coughs> I'll do better this hour. My wife just hopes I don't have to blow my nose, and so do you, because it just isn't a pretty thing. <coughs> so LexCity.info, excuse me, all the sermon notes are, are there. Ephesians, six chapters in this amazing book of Ephesians. And so I encourage you this summer, uh, this week and next week will be chapter one. So take this week through your time and just spend a few moments even on a daily basis, read through Ephesians chapter one. I think you'll gain more out of this series. It's a book broken up into really two big sections. Uh, chapters one through three deal with this issue of this. It deals with God's love for us and who we are in Christ, all right? That, that relationship there. Chapters four through six deal with, in light of God's love for me, how should I live differently in this world? <clears throat> and so the challenge of the, of the Apostle Paul to this young church is this. I want you to live countercultural every day of your life. I want you to live differently than the world around you. Now, the motivation to live this different kind of a life is going to come out of this relationship with God, right? Because we do what is right because we have a relationship with God, we don't do what's right in order to get a relationship with God. You, you see the difference there? And Paul wants to make sure we understand it. That right motivation when doing the right things is easier than doing the right thing for the wrong motivation. It, another way to say it is simply this. Obedience out of response <clears throat> is easier than obedience out of obligation. It's easier to take the garbage out because I want to support my spouse and help the house than it is to take the garbage out because I feel nagged, right? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying you're going to live for Christ out of this idea of a response to that. We live a life of response rather than obligation. And he wants to remind us as we start this whole series, listen, God's unconditional love for you gives you motivation to live differently. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is so bad. I'm so sorry. All right. If you, chapter one. Oh, I'm so happy. Okay. Forgive me. The letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus give you grace and peace. So Paul starts there, and I love the words that he uses. <coughs> To, to, this, uh, to this young church. Paul has this affection and this, uh, uh, just a, a deep care for this church. Why? Because this is a church that he had planted. On his third missionary journey, Paul spent two, year, two years in the city of Ephesus. And the only reason he left is because a riot took place. And it's amazing. This riot took place because Paul was leading people to Jesus. And when he was leading people to Jesus, they would no longer go to the temple of Artemis. And the makers of the wooden idols became upset because Paul was now impacting their business. And so they rallied against Paul and kicked him out of the city. Isn't it amazing that the gospel had so much impact that it was impacting the industry of idol making that it became a problem? I'm reminded in our culture, right? The answer is a life change through Jesus will always impact the actions and other things. So it really begins there. So this was Paul. He was there two years, gets kicked out with a riot. We now pick up the book of Ephesians. It's 10 years later. And Paul finds himself in a Roman prison where he's on trial for his life. So the words that he writes here that we're going to study this summer 
uh, are really the last words he very well thinks that he may be sharing to this church. So there's an impact and a depth to what he is about to share. So Paul's going to begin chapter 1 uh, with an extremely difficult, I think, and deep theological truth. So we're going to jump in today, both feet. Uh, he doesn't mess around. We just go for it right, after the, right off the bat. And here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to connect the love of God with God's choosing of us. And it's the doctrine of election. And it's a really difficult, sometimes, I think, a concept to get our heads and our hearts around. In fact, it's a doctrine or a teaching that sometimes creates more questions than answers by the time we're done with it, right? When we think about this idea of God's choosing, there's things like this. If God chooses, then is the Bible teaching that God doesn't choose other people, right? How does man's free will interact with God's choosing? Uh, Does God really predestine, or does he simply have a foreknowledge of those that will be saved, right? These are great questions. These are important questions. They're, They're really hard questions. These are the kind of questions that... In Bible college, you know, we used to sit around in the coffee shop and we get to debate these all the time, trying to decide how many petals were on each person's tulip. Or uh, there are these great godly men and women who have differing views on this. Denominations have split over their understanding of, of this is. So it's a challenging one. And so whenever I face a really hard biblical concept that I can't quite grasp where my finite mind, which is pretty finite, doesn't fully understand. I'm always reminded the truth of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29. Let me just put it on the screen for you. This is so important. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions, Right? So the Bible teaches this. There are things that God chooses not to reveal to us, and there are things that God chooses to reveal to us. And Deuteronomy teaches that our responsibility in all this is to receive and believe what God has revealed to us. The secrets and the mysteries, we trust to him, but the things that we're accountable. That's helpful for me. This fall, we're going to do a series on the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, there are mysteries and things I fully don't understand and can't comprehend, but there are also things that God reveals that are very clear that I'm accountable for, and so I'm reminded of this, I'm accountable to obey obey what is clear in what is known. And so as we jump into Ephesians chapter 1, that's our goal today, that we would just be obedient to what we can see clearly that God is teaching us, right? So let's look what the Bible says clearly this morning, and as we jump into it, a couple questions come to my mind. Why does God feel it's important to impart upon us this truth of his choosing of us? Why is that relevant? And why did the Apostle Paul, who led by the Holy Spirit, felt like this is the important thing to put right at the start of the letter that he's writing to this young church, right? There could be a lot of ways we started. Why do we jump in the deep end right off the bat? So two things that come as we think about. So let's look a little closer. Verse 3. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Here's verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I want to just take a moment and not breeze by that too quickly as we think about it. Before the world was even created, before the Garden of Eden was formed, before stars and suns were hung in the sky, God knew you, 
and God loved you. It's a pretty powerful truth, right? There has never been a time in eternity that God did not cherish you. I don't know about you, I can't, I, I can't grasp that. I, I, my mind can't even really fully comprehend what that is, but here's Paul's point that he's making, and I think why the Lord put it in Scripture for us. He's making the point that God's love for you came long before you ever loved him. Before the beginning of time, God loved you and God cherished you. God didn't love you simply because he knew that you would turn out to be a good person in the future, right? I think his love is far greater and far deeper than this idea of just foreknowledge of the outcome. Like, I, I know you'll be good down the road, so I'll love you now. I mean, we, we know that because think about the context of, of the nation of Israel, right? The book of Deuteronomy tells us a little bit about the nation of Israel and the fact that God loved them and God chose them as a nation in spite of what he knew about them. Deuteronomy chapter seven in the same book there, it says this, the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you, speaking of Israel, because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all the nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Ah, no, no, well, maybe God loves us and chose us because God knows, listen, we're not as sinful as other people, right? I mean, I know my friends. I'm not as bad as my friends. There's some good in me, and God knows my heart. I have good intentions. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna be good in the end. Pastor J.D. Greer calls this Disney theology, the idea that God would look past all the struggles and at the end, even bad people have good things in them and it's that fairy tale kind of ending. Here's the problem. God does know my heart and God does know my intentions. <laughs> and when God chose the nation of Israel, he knew that all about them and he didn't choose them because he knew they would be good. God chose them in spite of that. He knew that they, weren't, they didn't have better intentions than the Egyptians or the Canaanites. No, God chose them because he loved them. Look at the last part, Deuteronomy chapter nine. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you are good. Here's the key, for you are not. You are a stubborn person. So God's love for us is not based on his foreknowledge of our goodness because we have no goodness, right? I'm sinful, and depraved, and wicked, and selfish, and self-centered. God didn't care and love me because he thought there was goodness in me. It wasn't. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Jeremiah reminds me, listen, that my good works, right, are never going to outweigh my bad intentions and thoughts. Forget my actions just the things that go on in my head and my heart, I'll never have enough goodness to overcome the depravity of my own heart. It's kind of like the show, you know the show The Voice. You know how The Voice works, right? The judges sit on these chairs and they face the opposite directions and they wait to hear for The Voice or the performance of the person and if they like that, boom, they hit that buzzer and they spin around and they say, I choose you to be on my team because of your abilities and your performance. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's nothing like the voice. <laughs> when Jesus sat in the chair faced the other way and the guy gave me my mic to sing, before I ever said and sang a note, Jesus hits the button and spins and says, I choose you to be on my team. Not because you're good, but because I'm good. Not because of my performance, but because of the character and the goodness and the kindness of God. 
And I don't know about you, I'm so grateful that God's choosing of me was not based on my performance because the moment I would sing a note and it would be horribly flat, uh, my, uh, my destination would be sealed. I would not be on the team. And so I love that about it. I'm on his team, not because I'm good, but because he is. And he goes on in the book of Ephesians to give us even a stronger picture of that kind of love. Go to verse five. <clears throat> verse five, God decided in advance, there's that theme again, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for this glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He says, I wanna just, I wanna drill this thought into you even more how much I love that I adopted you. Think about adoption. One of the greatest acts of love and selflessness that you could give and do for another person. Some of you today are here and you understand that, boy, the depth and the beauty of this word. You have either experienced the gift of giving adoption or you have received it into your own life. And God says, man, this is how much I care for you. And then it goes on, it gives us little, little truth to the rest of the verse that always makes me smile. Verse five, he decided in advance to adopt us into his old family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. And it is two little thoughts. This is what he wanted to do. First part, can I just remind you? that the hero of the story and the centerpiece of the story of life is not you and it is not me. It's Jesus. What God chooses to do and wants to do is because he is the center part of the story. We just simply get to be along for the ride. So it is about him and his choices as he makes. And so listen, he wanted to do this and this is what I love about his adoption of us. And it gave him great pleasure. I love that idea. That I bring God pleasure, that you, that you bring God great pleasure. Before the foundation of the earth, God knew you, and God smiles when he thought about you. That's a heavy thought. It's a wonderful thought. And that's a truth, I don't know about you, that's a truth for me has taken a long time to really accept. I can hear it, but I don't know if I feel it all the time. You may relate to it. I, I, you know, all my life suffers, suffered from these just ideas of just low self-esteem in different areas. Never felt good enough. But you know, the very th- word gives evidence why it was a struggle. If it was self-esteem, it's no wonder I struggled with it, Right? My self-esteem, my esteem cannot come from myself. Otherwise, it's always going to be a problem, right? I remember when I was in my 20s, I went to a conference by Dr. Robert McGee, and the conference was simply entitled this Search for Significance. And somehow in those days, I remember God just really helped me get a new grasp and understanding of this. And in that conference, he he spoke about four lies that we tend to tell ourselves when it comes to our own self-worth and our own self-value. And the four lies were this, four traps that we fall into. So maybe you can relate to these because I certainly could. Number one was the performance trap, right? I must meet certain standard in order to feel good about myself. Gotta perform, I gotta be here, otherwise I can't. Second trap was approval track. I must be approved by certain people to feel good about myself. If this person, if that person doesn't value me, then I have no value, right? I'm looking for affirmation from them. If they'll just feel good about me, then I can feel good about me. Third trap was the blame trap, right? Those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. I deserve this. God's a harsh God, right? 
I failed here, I'm inconsistent here, God's, it's that, that punishment, that blame game. And the last one is simply the shame trap. I am what I am and I cannot change and so I am thus helpless. You ever felt those? Those are the lies that's there. Here's what I love. Ephesians chapter one reminds me of this, that God's unconditional love for me combats all four of those lies. See, God loved me before I could perform. God loved me before I worried about being accepted. God loved me before my sin and my shame and all these things that were there. And I love the power of that, that truth that God's unconditional love speaks to all of those things. That I have worth, here's the hard part, I have worth and value because the creator of the universe loves me and chose me and died for me. Some of you today, you just need to hear that one simple and profound truth that you have value because God values you. Apart from all those other things, I, I don't know about you, when that began to sink into my heart a little bit more, it was just, it was relief, right? It's just the pressure off, like just be you. Just be who God created you to be. Start at that point and let God do things. We'll talk a little more about that, but that's maybe for some of you, that's really it. So the book of Ephesians starts with this foundational truth, right? That God loves you unconditionally before the foundation of the earth because of his goodness towards you. And that's so helpful, and I think this is why Paul put it at the start of the book. It's so helpful when you live in a time and a culture that feels so anti the things of God. You ever been in those times where even you look around and you're like, God, have you forgotten me? God, have you forgotten our country? Have you forgotten our world? Everything seems to be going upside down. I, I, I feel like you're turning a blind eye to me. You don't really care of the struggles and the challenge. Lord, I'm fearful for my children. I'm fearful for my grandchildren. You don't seem to even have any interest in these things. And he says to this young church in Ephesus who's just getting started, right? He says, listen, I want to remind you when it appears when you look around like the ungodly are getting rewarded, right? The seventh wonder of the ancient world was a pagan temple to a fertility god, right? So sexual depravity, uh, temple prostitution, uh, you name it. Sin seemed to be rewarded and prospering. All these things in the city seemed to be going so well. And this young church would simply ask the question I think you and I would ask many times is simply this, God, why are you allowing this? Why are the ungodly coming into power and position and prosperity, right? God, why am I trying to live a godly life when everybody else seems to be having more fun? Why am I here? Because the party's at the temple. Why, God, why can't I go there? Why don't you care? And the answer to that, Paul says, the start is found way back to God's unconditional love for us. Let me go back to a little farther New Testament. John chapter 15 says it this way. It says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command that you love one another. Over the next few weeks in this series, we're gonna talk about, especially the last part of that idea of this, how do we create lasting fruit, right? That's why God created us, to create lasting fruit in our lives, impact in this world. But today, I just wanna go back to just that Single, solitary thought that the Apostle Paul starts us with. Go back to, again, that God's love for you was purposed before the foundation of the world. Look at the last two verses in our section today. 
verse 12, God purposes purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. In verse 13, I'm so grateful for this one. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom that he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would bring praise and glory to him. Ephesians chapter one, how do I know if I'm chosen? Because you believe, right? That's the key. So the question for you today is, do you believe? Have you come to that point in your life of accepting God's grace and God's forgiveness? Have you come to that point in your life where you've just said, listen, I, I'm so tired of trying to do this on my own. I'm so tired of trying to gain the approval of man. I'm so tired of trying to live up to this standard. I'm so tired of trying to do all the do, do, do's and I keep falling short and I'm just wore out. God says, man, when you're at that point, have you come to the point of believing of God's unconditional love and care for you? If you've not, I'd love to give you a chance to do that today. So just in the quietness of this moment, if you would, just bow your heads with me around this, the room today, or if you're online, just take a moment. And if today, if you've never believed and received God's love for you, I wanna invite you to do that. I'm gonna share a prayer with you in just a moment. It's not a magical prayer. It's not the words that save you. It's just the attitude of your heart that just acknowledges to the Lord God, I. <laughs> I need you. I can't do this on my own. God, I realize that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. God, thank you for loving me and dying for me. If that's you today, just say this back to the Lord, however you wish, dear Heavenly Father. I thank you that you love me. For the foundation of the earth, God, you, you thought of me and you accepted me. God, today I'm asking for your forgiveness for my sins and my shortcomings. Lord, thank you that you love me enough that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And so today I'm placing my faith and my trust in you alone. In Jesus' name. This morning, just as your heads are just bowed and Today, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, or maybe you're watching online and you made that decision for the very first time, but if you're here in person this morning, you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you be willing just to raise your hand and put it down that I can just remember and even this week pray for you on that? Amen. He was here today. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, you can just look right up here today. Can I encourage you, you'll see on the screen, if you would just text the word Jesus, if you're watching online, wherever you're at and you made that decision today, just text the word Jesus. We'd love to be able to send you just some information to help you grow in your faith, take the next step in your journey or answer any questions that you have. If you made that decision today, can I just invite you to share that with somebody? Right after our service, we're gonna have a prayer team that'll be available just right down here front. Just come down and share with them. I made that decision today. They've got a little gift they'd like to give you to help you again grow in your faith. But you know, for many of us, we had that moment of decision where we came and we placed our faith in Christ. 
today, can I just encourage you and remind you of the freedom and the joy it has in having a relationship with Jesus? What I love about the relationship with God is this, that God knows me and God chose me even all the, knowing all the things that he knew about me. And so I live my life not out of an obligation, but I live it out of a response. And so today, can you just take a breath and breathe? You don't have to gain God's approval by trying or being approved by certain people or shaming yourself for your past. You just need to live in the grace and the joy of a relationship with Jesus and just be you because God knew who you were and before he hung the stars in the sky, he smiled when he thought of you. We serve a great God. I don't understand why and I don't know why he would love us but he does, not based on our goodness, but because he's a good father. And so this week, just rest in that. Enjoy that. Celebrate that as we go. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for just the chance to be reminded of things that we fully can't grasp and understand. But God, I thank you that before I sang a note, you hit the buzzer and you spun around and said, I want you on my team. Apostle Paul says that truth should just motivate us. It should just encourage us to live differently. So tomorrow when we go to work or we're in our neighborhoods, God, help us to be people who live with that sense of gratitude, but who live with that sense of confidence and insurance that I am loved for just who I am. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. Babe, I coughed, but I didn't have to blow my nose. It was a gift of God. And uh, so, uh, hey, have a wonderful weekend. Again, we're reminded and so grateful for those that paid the ultimate price that we can enjoy the freedom we have. What a gift that that is. But have a great week. We'll look forward to seeing you back next Sunday. If you're visiting, my wife Tammy and I haven't got a chance to meet you. We'll be in the Welcome Center right out there with some Kleenex. And we'd love to welcome you and say hi to you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you back next Sunday.